Welcome to the resource room. I'm Amanda, the blogger and TPTer behind the Primary Gal. As a special education teacher, you are always supporting others, students, parents, general education teachers. But who is supporting you? That's where this podcast comes in. It's my mission to give you the help and support that you need. I'll be sharing my tips, tricks, research-based strategies, and professional development. I'm here to help you grow and learn as a resource room teacher. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hello, hello, my friend, and welcome back to episode number seven, where today we are going to talk all about writing. Now, even though we're not together and I'm never going to be able to see this, I want you to raise your hand if sometimes you dread teaching writing or if the thought of it simply overwhelms you. My hand is raised mighty high right now. So I first want to say I am not an expert. I get asked all the time, could I please, please, please create an intervention for writing? And I tell my one of my students in particular right now, I say, I'm not saying no, I'm saying not right now. I have other things to do first. So I'm not saying no, I would never create writing, but at this time, I'm still gaining some experience. I'm still figuring out what works and what doesn't work. And so because of that, I'm still learning and I'm always willing to share those things, but I don't want it to sound like I have all the answers. I don't want it to sound like I have narrowed down this perfect sequence of where we're starting and what the end goal is for elementary but I'll share what I'm doing because that's how I feel we learn best. So in my mind, let's start with the basics. First, writing can be as simple as copying letters, copying words, copying sentences that someone else has written. Um, Maybe those are scrambled, maybe those are dictated, maybe that's something that you write on the board or another piece of paper and students copy it. While sometimes we're thinking writing as in being original, they have to first see and understand what is a sentence? What are you asking them? What are you wanting from them? Or they're not going to be able to do some of those things later down the road. So I think, and it is a staple in what I do every day or every week, is we are seeing, copying, writing, rearranging sentences so that we can really start to make sense of that sentence. Writing is also one topic that I like to remind myself sometimes that it is okay for something to start out ugly. It is 100% fine if it is straight up miserable, if it is a lot of copying and then writing, um, that's okay. It's fine for it to start as very much You as the teacher are doing all of the work and you are transitioning over time to them doing more of that work. That's okay. So if writing is ugly in your room or the thought of starting writing or increasing what you are doing makes you nervous, overwhelmed, like want to run in panic, that's okay. It's fine for it to be ugly. I give you that permission. And to be honest, I have to remind myself of that sometimes. It's okay if it looks ugly. But if you never start, guess what? It's going to be time for high stakes testing in third, fourth, or fifth grade. And your kids can't write a sentence. And that's going to be mighty miserable when you sit down to take that test. So start with the basics. Start where your kids are and show them what sentences are, even if it is simple as copying. 
I also like to have my students write about things that they love, things that they know about. And so for me, a lot of times that comes in our reading book where they first draw a picture of whatever they want. Some kids want to do things on a preferred topic. Some people or some kids want to draw a picture about whatever we just read about. I don't honestly care what they draw a picture of because it gets them started with here's the setting, here's something. It gives me a place to draw questions from. So maybe if they draw a picture of a boy or a girl, one person, I could say, well, where are they? Who are they with? What are they doing? And it allows them to add more details to their picture, which then in turn allows them to write better sentences. Or maybe they could um, write a simple sentence like, um, the girl is playing or the girl plays, something very simple. The next sentence then I could say, oh, now maybe we could write about where is she playing or who is she playing with? What is she playing? You know, there are lots of questions that then we can come up with, but we have to get a little bit of a starting point. Earlier this week, I'm recording this um, on, let's see, the 8th of November. And earlier this week, yesterday, I guess it's only Tuesday as I'm recording. So yesterday, um, one of my gen ed teachers had her students writing an essay for a local radio channel here where um, the kids could write their essay about their favorite memory with Thanksgiving. And then if they win, they can read it on the radio or maybe they pick so many winners per school. I'm not sure the details, but one of my students really, really wanted to write an essay, but the writing piece was really challenging for her, for her. And she was like, I don't, I don't know what to write about. I don't know what to do. And we started with a picture. So I said, draw a picture about what you do for Thanksgiving. Draw a picture, anything. So at first she's kind of arguing with me a little bit and she's like, but we have to write. I'm like, I, I don't care about all that. Let's draw the picture first. Let's start with that. And I did that. I may not do that with all of my kids, but for her, she loves to draw. She's very good at drawing. And that I know is a strength as well as like a leisure activity, something that she enjoys. So it's like, let's take a little bit of the pressure off, draw a picture. So as she's drawing, then I might ask, you know, oh, well, where are you? Oh, are you eating in the living room? Are you eating in the kitchen? Where, you know, all those little things that helped her add details and we're not to writing yet but she's already thought about it. She's already kind of like getting that idea down, almost like, you know, when I was a kid, we had a planning page when we took high stakes testing, which kids still do of sorts, but now for us anyway in Indiana, it's all online. So now they're given a scrap piece of paper for planning or they're told to plan, but they don't even know what to do. I think that drawing a picture is an acceptable mode of planning. So let them draw a picture. Obviously, maybe not if you're doing, you know, something more informational. But if you are writing a narrative, it's a perfect way to go. So with her, that's the way we started. Draw a picture. Then we took it one sentence at a time. What are we doing? We started with a sentence stem, which came from the radio station's rules, which was like my favorite Thanksgiving memory is, and then fill in the blank. So then it was like, okay, well, how can we take what you're doing here, your favorite memory, what is that? So after she had a picture, she realized her favorite memory was eating dinner with her family. So that was really hard for her to put into words, 
but it was so easy for her to put into a picture. So maybe use that as a strategy for certain students. It may not work for everybody. Other kids might shut down if you tell them to draw or that that's how you're going to start. But a lot of my kids, well, really all of my kids, if on day two, we don't get time in our booklet to draw, I'm going to hear about it. Or the next day, they will remind me we didn't get a chance to do day two. Can we go back before we start? And then they're excited to write about whatever their picture was because oftentimes this is maybe terrible for their art skills, but sometimes I will pretend like I have no idea what's in their picture unless they put words with it. So it's, they enjoy it. It's something that they look forward to. And in my mind, it's kind of low demand. Draw a picture and usually I set a timer for three minutes. You have three minutes to draw, three minutes to write. And um, I help them with words that they don't always know. A lot of times I'll put it on a little sticky note. And it's a perfect opportunity to practice some of those sight words that we've been tapping on our arms. So if they say, how do you spell they? I'll be like, hmm, they, that sounds like an arm tapper. Hmm, what is that? And a lot of times they're saying the letters before I even pretend to remember what they are. So they might be saying, oh, T-H-E-Y. They, there you go. You've got your word. Or maybe it's a decodable word. And so we take that chance or that opportunity has presented itself where we can work on spelling that word using our pounding fists. But there may also be times where the words don't quite fit with being a arm tapper or a word pounding fist kind of word. And maybe in going with that writing prompt from Thanksgiving, maybe it's pumpkin pie. Well, if we're working on beginning blends, none of those words have any of those things in them. So maybe I'm not going to spell the word see or eat or like or some of those common words, but I'll write pumpkin pie on a post-it note so that you can copy that. So it gives me the chance to speed things up with the word pumpkin pie. But you know what? Eat is an arm tapper. And you can use what you have known, or I can remind you, maybe we're not to mastery, but it gives me the chance to kind of bring in all of those different components of what we're learning in the rest of our group. Other people could totally disagree with this, but I'm just going to tell you what I think. Here it is. Um, writing answers, like where you restate an answer or supporting with evidence from the text while yes, it is very text dependent and we're using our reading comprehension skills, I kind of lump that in with writing. It takes a lot of those writing skills along with the reading comprehension and listening comprehension and kind of all of that. It takes a lot to go into writing, but I still kind of consider that restating and answering as well as what I would call a yes ma'am question or a race question or anything where you cite evidence, I believe those are writing. I, I know it's tied to reading, but it's also a writing activity. So I make sure that those are built into what I'm doing all the time so that my kids are constantly practicing it. I'm able to, again, start ugly at the beginning of the year. Maybe that open-ended question is like 100% me or 90% me. 10% them. And over time, we work to get to where they're doing the 90% and I'm doing the 10%.
or they're doing 100% and I'm doing nothing other than monitoring or, you know, giving a thumbs up, reassuring them that they're doing a good job. All of those things in my mind are tied to writing, but we're using other skills there like reading comprehension. Now, because I'm trying to keep these episodes short and sweet, I'm not going to dive into what do I do for restating and answering? What do I do for open-ended questions? Those are their own episodes. So go listen to some of those if that's something that you're feeling like you want to improve upon. But to me, that is considered writing. If, and you know the student I'm thinking of, or you know the student I'm talking about, we all have them where if you ask them to pick up that pencil and write any more than one word or circle a multiple choice question, they're gonna shut down. That's the kind of activity that I'm talking about. And to me, answering an open-ended question, that is going to cause some of those kids to shut down on us because it's challenging. So take time, practice it, start ugly, work your way to, I'm not even gonna say pretty, I'm gonna talk about like mediocre look mediocre by the middle or end of the year. And eventually you'll get to where your students can do that. For some of my higher kids where their ability to read and comprehend is at a higher level, um, for me, a lot of it, a lot of the students that come to mind are students with dyslexia where they need a lot of help with spelling and writing and they have the ideas, they have the knowledge, but getting it all on paper is the tricky part. Um, writing answers or writing multi-paragraph essays that might come on like high stakes testing in grades three, four, or five. For me, those are something that you can really teach them a structure that can apply to pretty much any writing. Well, I guess I should say any writing that is not a narrative. So if we're talking about persuasive, this will work. If we're talking about something that's more informational, this will work. What I like to teach my kids to do is start with the three middle paragraphs. So essentially, all we care about when we first get started with answering some of these writing prompts is make a numbered list, one, two, three. So in my blue level of my reading intervention, in the week that's free that I've been mentioning in um, the show notes for each of these episodes, there is a writing prompt about, well, the book is about tonsils, And then the writing prompt is like, do you think doctors should remove people's tonsils? We hear in the text some pros and some cons. Why do doctors do that? You know, that kind of thing. Do you think this is something that doctors should do? And so what I like to start with, and again, this is often used at the very, very beginning of the school year. So this is the perfect time to say, I want you to write a numbered list, one, two, three. And then we just start with saying, give me one reason why you should or you shouldn't, whichever side you pick, tell me one reason why I might want my tonsils to be removed. So they might write things that came from the passage like, well, the child has been sick three to five times in a school year, whatever the numbers are or in a year, or maybe it's like eight times in two years or something. I can't remember the numbers, but that might be one reason. Reason number two might be, well, it could restrict your airway. And so none of us want to just suddenly be unable to breathe. So yeah, go ahead and remove those suckers. 
Reason number three might be your body has other ways, you know, your tonsils are to like to catch germs and bacteria so that it doesn't get into your airway and other parts of your body. But there are other um, little tissue balls, kind of like your tonsils, that do the same thing. So if you remove the tonsils, it's not like you're going to be more sick because you removed that. So there are three reasons. One, you're getting sick often. Two, it could affect your breathing. And three, your body has other ways to do the same thing. So why do we need to keep those tonsils that are making you sick around? So we start with that. And then oftentimes what I do, because a lot of my groups might have three, four, five students, we each pick one and we just start writing one paragraph. I don't want to throw a three paragraph demand at them. I want to start with one. That way we can talk about capital letters, periods, run on sentences, whatever things might be coming up. And then over time with similar things such as that, then we would work on, okay, now I want you to write two. Now I want you to write three. Instead with this, what I, again, it's the first week or so of school, I would be asking my kids to pick one of those reasons. Oh, you really like that you have, you know, the number two reason that it could restrict your breathing. I want you to write about that one. And so we just take it in a slow and steady pace. Then what I love about that is later when we're doing something that's more informative versus like pick a side persuasive, then we can use that same method to tell three points of information. Then over time, and I'll tell you right now, I am 12 weeks into school and I am not doing this. We are still working on getting our three paragraphs perfected. Then once you get to that though, and they're able to write those three paragraphs, then they're ready to start writing an introduction and a conclusion, which oftentimes include a lot of the same things. Um, if you're familiar with like a hamburger paragraph or a hamburger five paragraph paper, uh, the buns, the top and the bottom are your intro and your conclusion. And so they contain a lot of similar ingredients, a lot of similar things. You're just kind of rewording or restating a lot of those things. But if you don't know what your three reasons are, how in the heck are you going to write an introduction? Or how are you going to write a conclusion? Which is why I start with those three things. Let's get really, really good at that. And then we can move into an intro and a conclusion because hopefully we've worked a lot of the like grammar and spelling and, and that kind of piece there. And we have a well-organized, well-thought-out list that then the introduction basically writes itself. What I hope maybe you come away from this with is that yes, writing is daunting. It can be intimidating, it's challenging, it requires a lot of skills from our students, but it's doable when we as the adults ask them to do one teeny tiny baby step at a time. And then when they're ready, add the next layer, add the next layer, add the next until we're ready, whatever that looks like. When it comes to IEP goals, a lot of my students' goals for writing specifically come down to answering an open-ended question or working on that five paragraph paper. But you could certainly have goals for writing a sentence. Maybe you wanna focus in on having correct 
capital letters and punctuation. Maybe you want to work on their ability to use a specific kind of word, like a CBC word or a beginning blend or a vowel team and spell it correctly. Maybe you don't care about the whole sentence. I mean, obviously we do, but maybe what you're monitoring is it, can they use vowel teams correctly? Can they use the CBC word correctly when they're writing? Or maybe you want to focus on the grammar piece of it. You know, a lot of our kids also have language goals. So maybe you want to see, can they use their verb tenses correctly? Can they add endings to words? You know, things like that that you can hone in on if you deem that to be appropriate. When it comes to progress monitoring these, again, what are you doing every day or every week in your group so that you can start to make progress monitoring just something that you're doing in your group, not something extra? And I like to do this with a rubric, which again, I talked about in um, the episode about restating and answering, um, but I like to have that rubric or open-ended questions, I think really was the episode. But I create a rubric. First, you restate. That's a point. Then you answer. That's a point. I would do the same thing if I had a goal just for writing sentences. What three things do I actually want them to do? What two things? What five things? You know, whatever it is, can they do those things and then give them, maybe it's a percentage or maybe it's a number of points of what you expected them to do. That way, maybe you can start and see, oh gosh, we don't use capital letters, we don't use periods, we're not utilizing some of those decoding strategies. Wow, we're at like a zero. But I'd like to work on all three of those things, and then you can start assigning points or percentages accordingly. Next week, I'll be talking all about phonological awareness and some activities that you can do quickly and easily in your groups so that you're practicing those phonological awareness skills without spending a lot of your small group time on those activities. Well, my friend, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to the Resource Room Podcast. I truly, truly love to help and support other special ed teachers. Because of that, I run a Facebook group just for us. Search the resource room and request to join. You can also check out my website, theprimarygal.com for blog posts, pictures, and more information. Until next time, have a great week.